Well, there are certain times in life when you need to really step back and regroup. On the smallest scale, picture yourself a quarterback. It's, it's uh, a second and long. You're getting pressure. Best just to throw it away, regroup for another day, huddle for third down. As a student, maybe you find yourself struggling in your major classes. It might be best to regroup and maybe change your major to something different that better suits you. Uh, maybe in your career, you're laid off at work. It might be a chance to regroup and get some further training to change your career direction, one that has more job opportunities. And there are times when you regroup only to, to stay the course. Your transmission in your car goes out after getting quotes and evaluating repair versus a new car. You say, you know what, we're going to stay the course. We're just going to uh, uh, get this engine replaced. As a student, you might be struggling in your major, but you're so far into it, you know, it's best just to stay the course and stay on and continue in your major and finish it off. It's a, regarding your career, it, it might be best just to switch companies if you get laid off and just continue on. What well, happened to me recently, I'm planning a missions trip to India and Nepal. So I, I wrote in the Weekly Word, lots of you know that, all was going as planned. I, I put in for my visa for India, and I received a reply that was asking me about my employer. And what exactly is your job? Um, I had been instructed, right, when you apply for a visa for India, you don't put, I'm a pastor, and, and I, I did have to put my employer, Rock Valley Bible Church. And they saw that, and they drilled in on that, and when they found out, I suppose, don't know exactly the reason why, but when I was a, they put, I was a pastor of a church, they refused my visa to India. And so I regrouped and decided, well, I'm not going to India, I'm going to just Nepal, is what I'm going to do, and, and not any. It's not what I planned, but the Lord has guided me in that way. Just evaluating, regrouping, and, and just continuing on. Well, this morning, as we come to the scriptures, we're going to see John regrouping a little bit, is my assumption, and then just being recommissioned to his task. As you may or may not recall, John was commissioned by the Lord to write the Revelation. His commission comes in, in chapter 1. He was on the island of, of Patmos, a political prisoner, and he wrote this in chapter 1 and verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And this is a commission he had. He said, you're going to see some things, John, and what you see, write them in a book and send them to these churches in Asia Minor. And following that commission, John saw this majestic vision of Jesus in chapter 1, clothed with a white robe, a golden sash around his, his chest, his hair was white like white wool, his feet like burnished bronze, a voice like the sound of many waters, and his face shone like the, the sun in its strength. It's almost as if this, this vision that John received of Jesus was a reinforcement of the commission that he had, was called to. And this morning, as we get to chapter 10, we're going to see John commissioned once again to his task. And John is going to be shown once again a, a vision of a big, powerful angel. And John is going to be recommissioned on his task to stay the course, keep going, continue on in your prophecy. Now, I don't know how much regrouping there was with John, but maybe these visions of of the seals being opened in chapter 6 and the, the trumpets being blown in chapters 8 and 9 led him to discouragement. And, and maybe this vision was to bolster his confidence in the calling that he had received. It, it's speculation for sure, but it, it's my hunch. A little bit was going on behind the scenes in, in John's heart and mind because he definitely is recommissioned here 
in chapter 10. That's the title of my message this morning, Recommissioned from Revelation chapter 10. And, and, and for you, right, I think some of the application is this, right? God has called you to something. You, you're doing something. You're on that road. Is, it, is that the road you need to continue on? Or you need to go someplace else? You need to shift course. Particularly, maybe you're discouraged by revelation and just enduring through revelation, all these judgments that are, are foretold. And just, can we just get done with the book of Revelation? Well, we'll take heart. John was said, no, you need to keep on going in the book of Revelation. There's joy at the end. Or maybe like, we're all called to be God's witnesses of Christ in this world. Maybe you're discouraged in that. And this would be a recommissioning to you as well. It just says, no, you need to go out. You need to tell people about, about Christ. Well, let's read our text and see John's recommissioning. John writes this, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring, when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. And the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will become sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Well, my first point comes in verses 1 through 7. Simply this, is a mighty angel. It's what we see. We see a mighty angel. We, we, we see him mentioned here in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face like, was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. Now the first thing you notice here about this angel, this mighty angel, is it's another mighty angel. That is, this angel is different than the, the seven angels who are blowing the trumpets in Revelation 8 and 9. Uh, this angel is different than the four angels who were released to kill a third of mankind, Revelation 9, 15. This angel is different than all of the seven angels who were um, over the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. This is different than the mighty angel we read about in chapter 5, verse 2, who asked who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. This is an, another angel. <clears throat> and this angel is unlike any other angel that we've seen so far. He's called a mighty angel. You might call him a, a mammoth angel. Look at verse 2. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Just, just picture him, right? Just 
boom on the sea, boom on the land. It's a mammoth angel. I was reminded of, of this. It's a picture of the Colossus of Rhodes, one of the seven ancient wonders, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This giant statue, about the hundred feet high, it's also a statue of, of liberty. Made This was um, 200 B.C., 300 B.C. it was made. The technology then was amazing, made of iron and bronze. It towered over the port at Rhodes, destroyed by an earthquake in 226 B.C. We're, we're unsure whether exactly its legs straddled the port so that all the ships would enter into it or not. Some, it was, some had it just uh, over the, the side of it, but some maybe we think it was like this. We don't exactly know, but this is the picture of the angel that we see that John saw, this mammoth angel, this picture. An artistic rendering of what John saw may have been something like this. Verse 1 says, The angel came down from heaven wrapped in a cloud. You see him wrapped in a cloud. There is the rainbow over his head, his face like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. This angel... And his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land as if he was staking claim of authority over all the land and over all the sea. Which, by the way, would be significant when we get to chapter 13. When we get to chapter 13, we see the beast rising up out of the sea and we see a beast rising up out of the land as if, as if they're claiming authority over the sea and over the land. Well, this angel has the authority over both of those right now. Now, there's some here who say this, this angel here is Jesus. Because of the parallel descriptions in Revelation 1, a face shining like the sun and feet like burnished bronze and, and a voice like the roar of many waters. Because we see that even in verse 3, right? He, he called out with a loud voice like a, a lion roaring. Now because of many parallels, people think that this is angel is Jesus, but the, the problem is nowhere in Revelation, and in fact nowhere in the New Testament is Jesus ever described as an angel. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is shown as different than the angels. So I don't think this was a picture of Jesus, even though there are some comparisons. I think the comparison, the similarity is, is just God showing himself in his majesty before the commissioning of John. So I believe that this is simply another angel, a mighty angel, a mammoth angel, if you will. So what does this angel do? It says in verse 3, he called out with a, a loud voice like a, a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. This may be a bit of, of what John heard. It's the lion. It's the, the roar of the, the angel. or The roar of the, the thunder that's coming out. And I just say, right, just enjoy the apocalyptic pictures. He was shouting forth like a lion, only to be answered by thunders. Like, what in the world does that mean? I don't know what it means, but it's a great picture. Enjoy the picture. And it seems even further that John understood. Verse 4, And when the seven thunders had, had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard from he a, a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the thunders have said, and do not write it down. I get it right. Thunders are coming. And John's about to write it down like he understood. And this voice said, don't write down what they said. So these thunders said something. That's, that's apocalyptic literature. Somehow communicating with that. And so you say, well, the big question is, what are these thunders? 
I'm not going to tell you because we don't know. But the, the, the voice told John to seal up what was, what was said. Now, again, right? You don't seal up even what you haven't written down yet. But it just basically says, don't, don't let it know. But surely, we don't know the details of what these said, but surely these were judgments of some type. In Revelation, thunder is often associated closely with judgment. Look, look back at chapter 8 and verse 5. This is right before the seven trumpets are going to be blown. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Chapter 11, verse 19. This is after the seventh trumpet is blown and God establishing His reign, then, then God's temple in heaven was, was opened and the ark of His covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. Over in chapter 16 and verse 18, you can see it right there that um, uh, right as the, the seventh angel is pouring out the bowl, Right When the, the judgment of God is done, at the end of verse 17 and verse 18, we see, and there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth, so great was its earthquake. So I, I think these thunders were certainly judgment. We don't know what would happen at these judgments. I and mean, we know about the, the seal judgments. Everything is going to happen um, in terms of the wars and the, the famines and um, the pestilence and the, the fighting and the killing. And we know about the the, the trumpets and what took place at them as everything was burned up. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the sea creatures die and a third of the waters are made bitter and then these angels go out and, and torment people and kill a fourth of mankind. We, we know what those are. We don't know the details, though, of these thunders. And, and, and again, as we go back to the book of Revelation, right, we've seen the seals in chapter 6 which bring forth these judgments. And we see the, the trumpets in, in Revelation 8 and 9 bringing forth the, the judgments. And we have seen the bowls in Revelation 16 bringing out the judgments. And I would guess that these lightnings were like a, another judgment that would have been poured out. We're not told the details of these judgments, so only John knows these details and the Lord. But that's where these thunders were there. But we're told God's reason why these, these thunders came and were sealed up. If you look at verse 5, it says this. And the angel whom I saw standing on the scene on the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what's in it and the sea and all that is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So you have this angel, right, raising his right hand to heaven, giving him the sign of an oath. Right? We do that in courts today. Right? Someone's going to come, you stand for an oath, you say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, raising your right hand. And that's exactly what this angel is doing. Swearing by the Lord, right, who lives forever, who created the, the land and the sea and, and all that is in them and the heavens. And this angel says, there will be no more delay. In other words, at this point in the history of the world, or more properly, the, the future of the world, the final judgment was upon them. I, I do believe it's as if God was saying, we're going to just skip these thunder judgments and we're just going right to the end without any delay. Do you remember the Olivet Discourse? Jesus said, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, these days were cut short. Maybe it's a cutting short of the days. Maybe it's referring to the, the same thing. It's this is the idea of the seven thunders, right? God's cutting them out of history, right? Shorting the days. 
until the final judgment. But yet, there's, there's still mystery. Look, look at verse 7. But in that day, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So that puts us right where we are, right? We, we've seen six angels blown. We've seen it in chapter 8, four angels blown. In chapter 9, we saw two angels blown. So we're right here, right before the, the seventh one was, was blown. And this actually puts us in where Revelation is. Remember, I, I told you that there are, are these six seals in Revelation chapter 6. And then in, in chapter 7, right, there is this interlude, this pause. And then the seventh seal comes in chapter 8. And the seventh seal doesn't really even bring anything, but it brings the trumpets of 8 and 9. And so likewise here, right, between 8 and 9, we have this little pause in chapter 10 and even the first part of chapter 11. And then that seventh trumpet is going to call in Revelation 11, and that's going to bring in all of the bowls of the judgments that we're going we're to see. And it's the seventh trumpet that brings about the final judgment of the bowls being poured out upon the earth. And that's why verse 7 says, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, that's when all the judgment will come out. And he says, by then, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. You say, well, what's the mystery of God? Well, when the Bible describes a mystery, it describes something that was, was unclear. Like if you think about a mystery story, right? It's, it's unclear until the end, then it comes. And now you understand and so likewise, the, the mystery, for instance, in, in the gospel, one of the mysteries of the gospel was that Jew and Gentile alike would, would stand before God, would come to God by grace through faith the same exact way. And then the Jew and Gentile become one new man, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, that we all come, right? We all come to God through faith in Jesus, not by our works, not by our righteousness, but by, by Christ alone that wasn't clear in previous generations, but now, with Christ Jesus coming, it's become clear. Ephesians chapter 3, 4 through 6. Paul writes this, When you read this, you can perceive the insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that wasn't so clear in the Old Testament, but now it's been revealed now. And I think there are some things now that aren't, aren't so clear, but that will be revealed when that seventh trumpet sounds. Right? Verse 7 again, in the, that in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. There are mysteries now about how it's all going to work out in the end. But then it will all be answered. And, and I think some of the mystery of the question of verse 7 is just those great questions of, of life that we all have. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? I mean, th- these are the, the, the question of evil is the, the problem of religion that, that all religions are trying to answer that question. I think that will be answered with the mystery of God being revealed. The question is like, why does God allow Satan and evil men to bring evil upon the earth? And, and why is God so long in establishing his kingdom? Why does he establish it now? Why didn't he establish it in the days of Jesus? Why is he, why is he pausing? Why is he patient? When the final com- judgment comes, I, I believe we'll see and understand God's perfect judgment, his perfect timing in all of it. And the book of Revelation finds, when the book of Revelation finds fulfillment, 
we're going to be satisfied with all that God has done and did in this world. And that all comes with the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It, it brings the fulfillment of everything. It's, look there at the end of verse 7. Just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Right? Just he announced to his servants the prophets. Little phrase. Huge. What a grand statement. Everything God announced to the prophets would soon come to pass, is what John is being told here. Prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah. Like, all of these. Let, let's, just, let's just pick out a few, all right? Uh, we, we could spend the whole day reading Isaiah and just saying, all those prophecies are going to be fulfilled, and the mystery of God is going to be revealed. That's, that's how big the scope is. Let's just consider a few. The judgment God announced through Isaiah. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light, and I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. There, we've seen some imagery about that. The sun darkening, the moon not giving forth its light, the stars being darkened as well. We saw that, the sixth seal. We saw that. This was prophesied when the wrath of God is going to come. He's going to deal with all the evil that's upon the world. That's just one. Um, how about Joel, chapter 2, 1 and 2? This is the judgment that God announced through Joel. Blow a trumpet in Zion. It's the final trumpet, seventh trumpet. Sound an alarm by my, on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of a land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before. Narrow will be after them through the years of all generations. Right, just the darkness and gloom and judgment that's coming at the sound of that trumpet. This is judgment that God announced through Zechariah. Zechariah 13.2 On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so they shall be remembered no more and I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. Even these prophets who are prophesying, just gone and prophesying falsely on cleanness, just going to wipe it away, wipe it clean. These are, are just a few of these this mystery of when it would be that he announced through his servants the prophets. But the reality is not just all doom and gloom. There's great joy in the times of, uh, of what these prophets spoke about also. Isaiah, um, Isaiah 60 through 66 are great chapters of hope. Here, just listen to what Isaiah announced. Isaiah 60, 19, and 20. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Sounds like Revelation 21, right? There's no need for light because God is their light. And your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. No more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. That's just what Isaiah announced. 
How about just one more? Listen to what Micah announced. Micah chapter 4, 6 and 7. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant. And those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Just talking about God gathering the, the weak and the lame and the sick that he has healed and taken. And he's going to reign and rule. Like the, the, the prophets didn't only announce doom. They also announced a time of great glory. And of course, we don't have time to read all the other prophets. But that's the scope of this verse. That in, that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God should be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And the promise of John hears is as firm as firm can be. This, this mammoth angel laying claim to earth and sea, raising his right hand to the eternal creator God, saying that this mystery of God would be fulfilled, verse 7, and verse 6, that there would be no more delay. That's where we are in Revelation chapter 10. Now, a problem for us is that if there's going to be no more delay, why is it chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, why all this delay until we get to Revelation 16? And I just say that pushes the idea that Revelation, you can't put it all sequentially in a time. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. But, that, but what we're seeing here is just a, a vision of John being recommissioned, so you need to prophesy, we're right at the end. The book of Revelation is deeper and more nuanced than that. Certainly there's sequence here. There, there, there are seals. And the seventh seal comes after the first, sec, first six of them. And, and that's what brings in the trumpets. And that seventh trumpet then comes later. So there's sequence in these for sure. But everything in Revelation is not just like this nice time sequence out. There's, there's much more going on than that. All right, well, let's move to my second point. We've seen the, the mighty mammoth angel announce the imminent fulfillment of all things. So let's go now to the little scroll. <coughs> the scroll was mentioned in verse 2. It now becomes the focus of our narrative. We read this in verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that's open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the scene on the land. What a bold thing to do. Right? You're, you're peon John. Going to go to this massive, right? 100 feet high if it's like the Colossus of Rhodes. Maybe it's 500 feet high. We don't know how big this is. And he's going to walk up there and he's going to take that scroll right out of the hand. Just, ah, let me have that. It's like an audacious thing to do. And John would do what we expect. Rather than taking the scroll, he asks for the scroll. Maybe he couldn't reach it. Maybe, oh, give me the scroll. Maybe, I don't know what it is. So I went to the angel, verse 9, and told him to give me the little scroll. So maybe he didn't ask. He didn't say, pretty please. He said, give me the scroll. Well, there's some questions here about what the scroll is. Some would say this is the scroll of Revelation 5, the scroll that was sealed with seven seals that the Lamb took from the right hand of God who was on the throne. And maybe in some regards, Jesus, or John, you're supposed to like reenact that. That same scroll. I don't think it's the same scroll. Um, John doesn't make that connection. He could have easily said, right? He's got the scroll, remember, that you saw in chapter 5, or the scroll that had the seven seals and now is open. We don't, we don't know that. He doesn't make that connection. Furthermore, the, the word here is different. Um, you know, in chapter 5, if, if it was referred to as a book, the, the scroll identified as a, a book, a biblion, this is a, a small book. It's a diminutive book. It's like a booklet. It's smaller. In fact, it was so small that this scroll could fit in his mouth. 
as John was told to eat it. Look at verse 9. I went to the angel, told him to give me a little scroll, and he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Enjoy the apocalyptic picture here, right? When you receive a booklet, what do you want to do? You want to read it, you don't want to eat it. I'm reminded of Augustine's conversion. And uh, he heard some people say, Tole lege, tole lege, tole lege, which means what? Take and read. He was told, like he heard these boys playing take and read, so he, he took the Bible and he read it and came to Christ, turned from his sin and, and came to Christ. But here it was, take and eat. And the voice told John what he'd experienced. He said, it'd be sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the stomach. I have foods like that. And the older you get, I'm just warning you. All all those with gray hair can say amen. Amen, right? That's sweet in the mouth and bitter in the stomach. I have learned that apples are like that. I I love apples. They are sweet. I love the crunch. I love the sweetness of them. But I found if I eat an apple, you just give me a few hours and my stomach's going to be hurting. Uh, the same with milk and corn and refried beans. I love milk. I love corn. I, I love refried beans. And I can eat them small, but if I eat them like I, I like to eat them because they're so sweet, it causes problems on my digestive system. And that's what John experiences here. John said in verse 10, And I took the little scroll, this booklet, if you will, from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Now, this is a common picture used in, in prophecy. Jeremiah ate God's words. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Like There's, there's joy, there's sweetness there in, in God's word. And that's what John is being called here to do. Not just eat, eat them like this symbolic of just embracing and, and understanding and ingesting God's word. And yet for Jeremiah, they were certainly bitter. He prophesied later the bitter words of doom to Judah. Ezekiel ate God's words. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. And go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. But then later, Ezekiel would experience it to be bitter. Similar experience with what John did, right? Sweet in the mouth and bitter in the stomach. And I think what that says is just as we, as we take God's word in and we have to devour it, and that's what John did. He devoured it and he said, I found it sweet. And, and yet as it digested and thought about it, it became, it became bitter. And I just say this, there's, there's much about the future and bringing the kingdom that will be sweet to us all. But there's some bitterness to it as well. I mean, what could be sweeter than the end of the book of Revelation when we're seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the wedding, the church being married to Jesus. The weddings are happy times. We have a wedding this week. <laughs> Friday, Derek and Hannah are, are being married. And I know I'm just, I picture myself sitting down at the meal, seeing you guys up there, said your vows. I, I think you're going to say, I hope you're going to say I do. Yes, you are. <laughs> Oh, I, and I trust Hannah will too, right? You're, you're up your vow, you're sitting there at the table, and, you know, the, the, just 
party and the music and the toasts and the events and the cake and, and I will sit there and be satisfied enjoying thinking about your future together, Derek. What could be happier than that? That's, that's the end that's of what Revelation speaks about. What could be sweeter than God dwelling with us without any death or crying or pain? Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain ever anymore for the former things have passed away. It doesn't get sweeter than that. God dwelling with man just like it was in Eden where God used to walk with them in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. When, when He claims us as His people, when he removes all pain and all sorrow and all crying and all tears. No more headaches and no more COVID and no more sprained ankles. None of that. It doesn't get sweeter than that. Yet not all is sweet. As sweet as it is that Jesus comes riding in the right horse, he's going to come with the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. It's pretty bitter. And when the trumpet sounds and the bowls are poured out, it's the final wrath of God coming upon the earth. In fact, even if you look at chapter 16 to see how, how final this wrath is, in chapter 16, verse 7, the seventh angel poured out his bowl. This is the last angel to pour out his bowl in the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And these bowls, as it says in chapter 16, verse 1, that are poured out on the earth are the seven bowls of the wrath of God. That's what this little scroll brings. It brings the, the sweetness of the, of the glory to come with the bitterness of everything it takes to get there. And we've already seen this in Revelation, right? We've seen the sweet. We saw the beautiful image of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Face shining like the sun, voice like the sound of many waters, feet like burnished bronze. Like just, yes, that's our Jesus, that's our Lord. We've seen the glories of the throne in heaven with the heavenly hosts, right, worshiping the Lord, the, the angels and the, the seraphim around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and, and Christ and the Lord Father being worshipped to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be glory and honor and blessing and might forever and ever. It doesn't get sweeter than that. We've seen the great multitude coming out of the great tribulation, Revelation 7.10, saying salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. But we've also seen the bitter. We've seen the seven seals being opened up, bringing wars and famine and death upon the earth. We've seen six of the seven trumpets blown, burning the earth and making the waters bitter and destroying sea creatures and having the torment of these locusts being so bad that they want to die for five months. They're wanting to die. They're longing to die, but death escapes them. And then we see a third of mankind being killed. But this was John's commission. You just need to keep going. You need to proclaim the sweetness and the bitterness of the coming events. And Revelation 10 says that John's ministry was to continue on. He was to be recommissioned, if you will. In fact, that comes in, in verse 11. He looks at it. He says, And I was told, You must again prophesy 
about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Do you see it says here that you must again prophesy? That's the reason I have my, my uh, title this morning is recommissioned, right? Commissioned again. You, you must prophesy again. His prophetic ministry wasn't finished. What he'd already proclaimed, he must continue doing. And, and perhaps, even as I open my sermon, maybe it was at a point where he was discouraged and had to regroup. I had to think, do I, do I really need to keep saying this? Do I really need to keep writing this? And God says, yes. John, you need to keep going. And we need to keep going in Revelation and find that, yes, there are some sweet things. But there are some bitter things, too. And I just encourage you, right, as, as you read your Bible, don't just look for the sweet things in the Bible. You're going to, like, miss many things. Know that there are sweet things and know that there are, are bitter things as well. The Bible exposes our sin, or the, the bitterness there, the, the pain and the anguish. And yet also, in the backdrop of that, it brings in the sweetness of Christ. And, and if you don't have the bitterness, you don't get the sweetness as sweet as it can be. So press on, church family, right? Take God's word, take it, eat it, read it, ingest it, and delight in the sweet, but realize the bitter. And as you speak with others in your commission, don't, don't just speak the sweet. Be like John, prophesy the sweet and of the bitter. And, and John had to do that about many peoples and nations and languages and kings, just scoping the, the four corners of the earth, if you will, every tribe and language and people and nation. Just that's the scope of revelation. It's a worldwide revelation of what's going to take place all across the world. So let's regroup. Let's continue on what we need to do, just as John was recommissioned to his task. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this interlude and this vision that John sees and just the strength and encouragement that he has then in his vision. I just would pray you'd give us boldness, desire, willingness, to do as John has done. And many times proclaiming the gospel of people, it's not pleasant. It's hard. As sin is revealed, people don't like that. May we stand firm, though, God, on, on just what your, your word says and present to people just the, the enjoyment that, that there is in Jesus, the sweetness that comes. Help us balance these things. God, teach us in Revelation. God, not to go further in what's said, but not to, not to fall back, but to speak what, what your word says. May we believe it, trust it, know that it's for our good. Even listening to all these judgments, oh God, is, is for our good in some ways. God, I, I long for the time we get to Revelation 21 and 22. We speak about the glories of heaven. Take us through the bitter times as well. God, by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.